All right, we're going to do a little follow-up what we promised you last week, uh, the story of these uh, books, the Left Behind series. We wanted to just go into a little bit about what is in the book of Revelations because, uh, actually, you should at some point go on the web. Slate.com, I think, had a summary of what's in the latest of these books where Jesus apparently shows up in a Humvee, I believe, to lead troops uh, against the infidel. It's It sounds like quite a hoot. I really should dig that out for you in the future, and, and I might do that. But I want to just actually talk about the fact that we've got people in the government right now confidently predicting the world is going to end soon, or at least that's what they seem to believe, and they seem to be basing their foreign policy on that. This all comes from the book of Revelations in the New Testament. For two sources, I would recommend highly Isaac Asimov's Guide to the Bible, an absolutely fascinating read about every single book in the Old and New Testament, and also Ken's Guide to the Bible by Ken Smith, B.A. Ken's Guide to the Bible is something everyone should have on their uh, home library shelf. According to Ken Smith, uh, the final judgment involves a series of events. Uh, The denouement is when a judgment day arrives. Everybody's raised from the dead. They're paraded in a big white throne. Anyone whose name isn't written in the book of life gets thrown into a lake of sulfur. Heaven, hell, the earth, and death all disappear. They're replaced by a new earth and a new heaven from which descends the new Jerusalem, a city made of pure gold occupying 1,500 cubic miles. What I find curious is how vague the Bible suddenly becomes when it uh, comes time to describing what this new Jerusalem is going to be like. John, the author, says that it's um, basically says that it'll always be daylight. The inhabitants will serve God and Jesus, and that no sexually immoral people will be allowed in it. And that's it. By the way, this idea of the rapture, where all of a sudden cars will be uh, be unoccupied, uh, you know, airplanes will crash from the skies, and certain pilots get taken directly up to heaven, that is not in the Bible. That is an adornment that comes much later and is part of the folklore that's been attached uh, by various Christian fundamentalists to their interpretation of what the Bible says. It actually comes from a John Nelson Darby, an English evangelist who arrived in America in 1862 and began preaching his own particular brand of end times prophecy. Um, It's uh, through Darby's interpretations that we have such things as the rapture, which, uh, you know, was disseminated through America and became influential in sort of in the thought of American Christians. You've seen those, uh, those bumper stickers, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unoccupied. Well, I have a bumper sticker on my car that says, in case of rapture, can I have your car? And speaking of interpretation, I'm amused by the fact that in Newsweek, uh, in last week's issue, um, they talked to Tim LaHaye, who we should remind you, with Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, founded the Moral Majority some years back. Uh, Mr. LaHaye worked his way through Bob Jones University, and when asked by Newsweek, um, how does he reconcile uh, Jesus' injunction to sell all you have and give to the poor with the fact that the Left Behind series has made him a multimillionaire, he responded by saying, I can accomplish far more from my present lifestyle and the giving that I do to Christian work. If I just sold everything and gave it to the poor, I I can't see where that would advance the gospel as much as I'm doing. Well, it all comes down to interpretation, doesn't it? They asked co-author Jerry Jenkins how he was going to have Jesus talk when he comes back, and they said, well, you know, we're going to make him colloquial. It'd be sacrilegious to have Jesus show up and say, hey, how you guys doing? Did you miss me? 
And of course, these Bible literalists did have some problems in trying to bring this literal interpretation into their books. Uh, The Bible does say in the book of Revelations that Jesus is going to slay his enemies with a sword that comes out of his mouth. They decided that, well, that must be poetic license. They don't believe there's an actual sword in his mouth. The sword is his word. You know, I really hate to see these guys starting to interpret and seeing a lot of metaphor and being wishy-washy about this. You know, the fun thing about fundamentalists is they take it at face value. All right, a couple of health and science items for this program. Um, A recent study may be something that you want to note out there in Roseville and Elk Grove and Laguna. Uh, Many parents who flee the city for suburbs seeking a safer, more wholesome life for their kids, um, you know, may not be gaining that. Studies of illegal drug use in the suburbs have shown that it's the same among suburban and city high school students, about 40%. In fact, suburbanites were actually more likely to experiment with alcohol, 74% versus 71%. So the Atlantic Monthly pointed out that uh, while the air may be fresher, maybe, and the grass greener, the social environment may not be safer. And I would direct your attention to a dissenting opinion in Scientific American magazine um, in the May 2004 issue. An article by Mark Solms com- you know, was claiming that Freud was right about a lot of aspects of the brain, but uh, J. Allen Hobson, professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, presented a counterpoint titled, Freud Returns Like a Bad Dream. Dr. Hobson points out that uh, Freud got into this whole idea of dreams being a a symbolic disguise and censorship, uh, but he points out that if that's true, then this whole id-ego struggle of Freud is what's directing brain chemistry, which no one seems to believe. And if we're not busy disguising and censoring all of our urges uh, within our own brain, well, then uh, Freud's method of his wild goose chase approach to interpreting dreams through free association, uh, really doesn't make much sense. To quote from Dr. Hobson, psychoanalysis is in big trouble, and no amount of neurobiological tinkering can fix it. Psychoanalytic theory is indeed comprehensive, but if it is terribly in error, then its comprehensiveness is hardly a virtue. He points out that we need more biologically based models for dreams, mental illness, and of normal conscious experience than that which can be offered by psychoanalysis. Here, here. Joining us now is our Iraqi correspondent, Colonel Skip Klondike of the Coalition Forces. Good morning, sir. Well, at least it's morning here. Colonel, we haven't heard from you in a while. We hope uh, you're okay. Oh, yes. I I think you understand things here have been a bit topsy-turvy. To say the least. But I'm fine, thank you. Just doing odds and ends, helping out the new Iraqi security forces, advising mostly. Well, what do you know about this raid on Ahmed Chalabi? Well, I was, in fact, assisting that process, but this was primarily an internal Iraqi matter. Totally internal Iraqi well, thing. Colonel, you got, you got to be kidding. Raiding a Chalabi's house? He was the Pentagon's favorite Iraqi. Well, the operative word is was. So what was your role? Well, as I say, that this was an internal Iraqi matter, but a few U.S. forces went along to help with the paperwork and such. Well, what paperwork? We were to collect the cleaning deposit on the INC apartment soon to be vacated by Mr. Chalabi. Yeah. Is he, is he going to get his money back, by the way? Well, it's not for me to judge, but, but there were numerous cigarette burns on the carpet, sir, and two fist-sized holes in the sheetrock, so it doesn't look very good. Yeah. Well, what do you know about that whole situation? Very little, really. 
I understand some of the funds of the Iraqi National Congress were misplaced, causing, you know, ill feelings among the funders. Well, we heard, you know, $340,000 a month, and we heard, you know, that he got $39 million over four years. Uh, well, I don't have those figures. I, I believe that audits showed several expense account entries looking suspiciously high. Which, which ones? Well, like well, like this one, $14,000 for post-it notes, for example. Yeah. That struck many as a bit excessive, sir. I, I would imagine. Um, well, what about this whole espionage angle? Well, Mr. Chalabi simply could not explain why he sent Christmas cards to the presidents of Iran, Syria, and North Korea. That did raise questions, especially on axis of evil letterhead. Well, maybe Chalabi meant that as a joke. Could be, but, but many around here found this humor wanting. And that poster of Ayatollah Khomeini in Mr. Chalabi's living room didn't help his case either. Yeah. Nor did the baseball autograph by Mr. Khomeini. Uh, what about the extortion and, and kidnapping charges? Thought to be worrisome items, sir. I imagine. So, Chalabi's out over his shady finances. Well, in part. You see, Mr. Chalabi is something of a practical joker, and his penchant for gag items did seem excessively costly to many people. Our records show Mr. Chalabi spent $4,000 on x-ray specs and 2500 on onion gum. Hmm. Then he went and spent nearly $5,000 on whoopee cushions. Well, now that must have raised eyebrows. As I say, he's quite a joker. Secretary Rumsfeld was tickled at his last birthday party. The, the cake supplied by Mr. Chalabi had candles that did not extinguish. A hearty laugh was enjoyed by all when the secretary, red in the face, was simply unable to blow out the candles, sir, no matter how hard he applied himself. Boy, to have been a fly on the wall during that party. It was simply hilarious, sir. Undersecretary Wolfowitz was so doubled over with mirth, he knocked over the punch bowl. How about Richard Pearl? Well, he was busy testing the joy buzzer Mr. Chalabi gave him. After having just placed some fake vomit near the ladies' room, security advisor Rice was totally fooled, they say. Yeah. Well, I bet there were lampshades aplenty on those neocon heads during that party. The jovial nature of Mr. Chalabi made him quite popular among influential members of the administration. That much is true. Such a shame we failed to get any real intelligence out of him on chemical or bio or nuclear weapons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, we've tried not to be too harsh in judgments like that. Well, so we've seen. Well, you know, I really must be running along, sir. We, we have much to do here before we get the new democracy of Iraq up and running. Colonel? Yes, sir? How is it a democracy if the Iraqis have never held an election? Well, we have a democratic process getting established, so we feel pretty good about handing over the reins. To people appointed by the U.S. with no election? Well, they include many good people committed to the democratic process in principle. Well, you know, Bismarck once said, when someone agreed with you in principle, you knew he didn't agree with you in practice. Who was that? Otto von Bismarck, the Iron Chancellor of Germany. Well, forgive me for saying so, but he sounds like a bit of a cynic. Well, I guess he was. But, uh, but Colonel, with only five weeks till June 30th, what sort of government will be handed power? Some say it'll be like a board of regents. Any legislature in mind? Yes, we're thinking of either unicameral or bicameral. We haven't quite decided yet. We might see a governing council of seven members or perhaps a parliament. How about a junta? Well, we don't like that term. Well, I, how about this, Colonel? Okay. Five gold regents, four yes. calling boards, three co-presidents, two turtle doves, and a prime minister in a palm tree. Beg pardon, sir? Just kidding. Uh, Colonel Klondike, please don't be a stranger here. Uh, we, you know, we're, please come back. Happy to return any time, sir. And we do welcome your input. You know, we welcome input from many sources on governmental options. How, how about Iraqi Idol, or reality TV, to settle the, uh, the question? Already in the hopper, sir. But feel free to write up the suggestion.
Paul Bremer's open to any reasonable suggestion, very open. Well, Colonel, please come again, especially as we near that June 30th deadline. Roger that. That was our Iraqi correspondent, Colonel Skip Klondike. We look forward to more reports from the Colonel as to what's going on over there in Iraq. That's it for the show. Our thanks once again to the uh, former senator from Minnesota, Eugene McCarthy. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. This is Radio Parallax, and I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for Todd, and we'll see you again next Thursday at 5 o'clock when we hope to bring you the former host of National Public Radio's Morning Edition, Mr. Bob Edwards. Mm-hmm.